passage again, Matthew chapter 24, verses 32 to 51. I'll be reading from the ESV translation, Matthew 24, verse 32. From the fig tree learn its lesson. As soon as, as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also when you see all these things, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Verse 36. But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. For as were the days of Noah, so will, will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will the coming of the Son of Man. Verse 40. Then two men will be in, a, in the field. One will be taken and one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and one left. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let, have let his house be broken into. Therefore you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at, at an hour you do not ex accept, expect. Excuse me. Verse 45. Who then is the faithful and wise servant, whom his master has set over his household? to give them their food at the proper time. Blessed is that servant who his master will find doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that wicked servant says to himself, My master is delayed, and begins to beat his fellow servant, servants, and eats and drinks with drunkards, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not ex expect him and at an hour he does not know and will cut him in pieces and put him with the hypocrites in that place where there will, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth and that is the reading of God's word well, thank you Rob for serving the church in that way and if you haven't already, please pull out your Bible to Matthew chapter 24. We're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 24, verses 32 through 51. Pull out your Bible or, you know, your tablet or your device so you can follow along as we walk through this passage. So I'll give you a minute or so to pull out your Bible if you don't have that already. Uh, and some happier news, uh, a big congratulations to Caleb and Melissa Shank. Uh, Ethan Shank was born early this morning, so praise God, congratulations, we're happy for you. So excited to hear the news. Excellent. Well, let's, let me just uh, take a moment to pray before we just dive into God's Word. Father, we need you. Pray that you would give us ears to hear, eyes to see, and a heart to understand your Word. I pray that you would give us the grace Grace to be prepared for the return of your son at any moment. In his name we pray, amen. 
Well, last two weeks, we've been looking at learning about the return of Jesus Christ, the physical, visible, bodily return of Jesus Christ in power and great glory. During the last two weeks, we've been looking at the certainty of Christ's return, a certainty that's summed up in verses 32 through 35. So this is Matthew chapter 24, verses 32 through 35. From the fig tree, learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also, when you see all these things, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will not pass away. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words, the words of the Bible, the trustworthy, authoritative, inerrant words of the Bible will not pass away. God's word, what we have in the Bible, is more sure than heaven and earth, more sure, more certain, more trustworthy than creation itself. In the coming of Christ, which is certain, this coming of Christ in power and glory came in judgment with the destruction of Jerusalem in the year A.D. 70. But that destruction, that was only a foreshadow of the final climactic return of Christ, the second coming of Jesus Christ. And today we're going to be talking about the uncertainty of that coming. And what I mean is that the timing of his coming is uncertain. We know he is coming back. That's certain. Jesus' return is a certainty, but we just don't know when. The exact timing is uncertain. All of us can be curious, though, not just five-year-olds. If you've ever been on a long road trip and you have kids in the back seat, you have to brace yourself for that question. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? And then another five minutes later, are we there yet? This is certainly a question I asked as a kid when our family took long road trips. And maybe God has a sense of justice because now he allows my kids to ask this question when we take road trips. Kids, though, they, they know that we're getting there. They know that we're arriving. They know we'll be there, but they want to know when. They want to know when. They're curious. And in the same way, the disciples are curious. They want to know when Jesus will return. Let's look at Matthew chapter 24, verse 3. This should be projected. At the beginning of this chapter, the disciples say, Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? The disciples, they want a date. They want a date. They want to know when Jesus will come back. They want to know the date for the end of the age. And they're basically asking Jesus, are we there yet? Are we there yet? And then Jesus has to adjust their expectations. He gives his answer in verse 36. Look with me to verse 36. But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. So the disciples are asking Jesus, tell us the timing, tell us the date, the hour, the moment that you're going to come back. And Jesus says, no, I'm not going to tell you that answer. And he tells them no one knows, in fact, not even the angels, not even the Son. And Jesus says, to them, well, not even I know the date and time of my coming, so join the club. Jesus tells his disciples, you don't know because I want you to be ready at all times. 
to be ready at all times. And that's the title of my message this afternoon. Be ready. Be ready. There's a rule of thumb in investing. At least it seems pretty smart. The rule of thumb is buy low and sell high. Makes sense, right? Buy low and sell high. But here's the catch. How do you know if you really are buying low and then selling high? You might have bought at a point where the market was at its peak. You might be selling when the market hasn't peaked yet. You don't really know. How many of people predicted that the global pandemic would hit in March and invested accordingly? Well, very few people did. If we all knew what was going to happen, we would have all sold our investments, waited things out, and then reinvested when the pandemic passed over. That's why financial planners tell you not to time the market. Don't try to time the market. You need to just be faithful in saving week in and week out, month in and month out, because it's foolish to try to time the market. You don't know what the market is really doing. If you try to time the market, you may end up selling low and buying high. In the same way, Jesus tells us not to put a date on his second coming. Don't try to time the market. Just be faithful, faithful week in and week out to prepare for his return. Be ready at all times. But before we get too far on what it means to be ready, I want to address a question I know is on your mind. What does Jesus mean when he says, not even the son knows the day or hour of his return? What does Jesus mean by that? Jesus is God, right? God knows everything, right? So how does Jesus, as the Son of God, not know something? I know you're thinking this. I know this question is going on in your minds. How can Jesus not know everything? Well, this isn't a typo. This isn't a mistake in God's Word. God's Word is trustworthy. It's inerrant. It's authoritative. We can trust it. In fact, these words are repeated in the Gospel of Mark. Mark chapter 13, verse 32. But concerning that day or that hour, no one knows. No one knows. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. The Bible, God's Word, wants us to hold two theological truths together. Two truths we have to hold together in tension. Number one, Jesus as God knows all things. As God, Jesus isn't limited. He has unlimited knowledge. As God, Jesus knows everything. It's impossible for him not to know something. But the second truth, number two, Jesus as man, Jesus as man doesn't know all things. He has limited knowledge. As man, Jesus doesn't know everything. We know this from the scriptures where Jesus as a child, he grew in wisdom and stature and favor. And also from this passage here where Jesus says he doesn't know the date of his return. So even though I haven't fully answered all your questions, we need to hold these two truths together, that Jesus is fully God and fully man. And hopefully this motivates you to mine the scriptures, mine the truths of scripture, to study everything you can about Christology, to learn more about what this deep mystery really means. So study the Bible. But to get back here, Jesus isn't teaching us something that's brand new in this in this verse, verse 36, that the day of the Lord, that the return of Yahweh was a mystery, was actually something predicted by the prophets of old. Zechariah in 520 BC wrote this in Zechariah chapter 14, verses 5 through 9. 
And you shall flee as you fled from the earthquake in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah. Then the Lord my God will come and all the holy ones with him. And there shall be a unique day which is known to the Lord, neither day nor night, but at evening time there shall be light. On that day, living water shall flow out from Jerusalem, and the Lord will be king over all the earth. So Zechariah, back in 520 BC, says that there will be a unique day known only to the Lord, known only to Yahweh, not known to anybody else, for the secret things belong to the Lord our God. So that means Jesus couldn't be more clear. It is not our job to be a date setter. It's not our job to predict the exact day, hour, moment of Christ's return. And yet, tragically, there are so many date setters out there, so many people out there trying to predict the date for the second coming of Jesus Christ. And what's even more ironic is that these people claim to be Bible teachers. They claim to be Bible teachers, and yet they miss something so simple, so clear, that even a child could understand. Verse 36, once again, concerning that day and hour, no one knows. Concerning that day and hour, no one, no one knows. So that means if somebody claims to know, they're claiming to be smarter than angels, smarter than everyone else, and of course, smarter than Jesus Christ himself. They're saying, Jesus, you're wrong, and I'm right. I know the date, even if you don't. Starting in the 1970s, Harold Camping predicted the end of the world. His first prediction of doomsday, the return of Christ, was 1988. Then he moved it to 1994, and then 2011. Well, guess what? 2011 has come and gone, and guess what? Jesus hasn't come back. He hasn't come back. But he hasn't been the only one. Many have predicted the return of Christ. Many have supported his ministry, the ministry of false teaching. But as one commentator said, better to be ready than to be curious. Better to be ready than to be curious. And then Jesus, after verse 36, he teaches us how to be ready. And he forms his teaching in the, in the form of a sandwich. Chef Jesus prepares a sandwich for us, and there's two different examples. These are like two pieces of bread, and then there's meat in the middle. So here's the first slice of bread, of this sandwich that Jesus is serving up. This first slice is the days of Noah. The days of Noah. Let's look at verses 37 through 39. Matthew chapter 24, verses 37 through 39. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. You see what people were doing during the days of Noah? They were eating and drinking and marrying right before Noah and his family entered the ark. There's nothing wrong with food and drink and marriage. These are good gifts given to us by our generous God. But the problem is that we as human beings, as sinful, corrupt human beings, we love the gift more than we love the giver. These people were eating and drinking and marrying and enjoying life, but they couldn't care less about the God who gave them these good gifts. 
Imagine how hurtful you'd feel if a friend or someone you thought was your friend, if a friend told you, I don't care about you, I only care about what you can do for me. I don't care about you, I only care about what you can do for me. Well, truth be told, all of us are like that. More often than we'd like to admit, we just don't say it. But we would find that offensive if someone we thought was our friend told us that straight to our face. If we think that would be offensive, well, how much more would that be offensive to God? That would be infinitely offensive. And you can read about the flood in Genesis chapters 6, 7, and 8, the full story of the worldwide flood. But the world at that time wasn't just ignoring God. They were actively rebelling against him. The world was full of wickedness, violence, and bloodshed. The world was so wicked and corrupt and violent that judgment had to come. And notice here that Jesus affirms the historicity of Genesis. He affirms the Genesis flood as a real-life, historical, actual event. We don't see Jesus just picking and choosing passages of Scripture like so many people like to do today. So many people like to say, well, I like these passages in the New Testament. I just don't like these passages in the Old Testament. There's no picking and choosing with Jesus. Jesus takes it all. Heaven and earth may pass away, but his words will remain. So it's not a myth. It's not metaphorical language. It's not made up, but Jesus affirms the Genesis flood as an actual historical event. But let's notice what Jesus highlights about this flood. Notice that Jesus doesn't mention the wickedness of the world. The wickedness of the world is assumed. What he highlights in this moment is the normal everyday activities of life. The normal everyday activities of life. The world is eating and drinking and marrying until, Jesus might have said, people were getting up, brushing their teeth, eating breakfast until they were going to work, grocery shopping, meeting with friends, until something sudden and permanent happened in Genesis chapter 7. On that day, all the fountains of the great deep burst forth and the windows of the heavens were opened. And rain fell upon the earth 40 days and 40 nights. And in that worldwide catastrophic flood, every mountain was buried. Every living creature on land and in the air was drowned. This flood, this extinction-level event, completely, completely took the world by surprise. They didn't see it coming. No rain had ever fallen on the earth. The forecast only called for sunny skies. And there was no reason for people to believe that one day they would be doing normal stuff and in the next moment, the flood would sweep them all away. There was no reason to believe that the flood would actually come and Noah was right. And this is what the second coming of Christ will be like. A sudden, unexpected event where everyone is blindsided. So this is the first slice of bread in that sandwich. The day's of Noah, the days of Noah. Well, let's get to the meat of the matter, the middle of the sandwich, in verses 40 through 42. This is Matthew chapter 24, verses 40 through 42. Then two men will be in the field. One will be taken and one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and one left. Therefore, stay awake. For you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. 
So Jesus then relates that far-off event from long time ago and transposes it right into the present. Nothing could be more normal in every day than two men working in the field or two women grinding at the mill. Jesus might have been saying, then two men were driving to work. They were riding septa. Or two women were getting their children ready for school. And while they are at work, while they are at home, Jesus comes back. And some are taken, and some are left behind. And there's two important things you need to know about this separation. This separation is sudden, and it's permanent. It's sudden, and it's permanent. Number one, it's sudden. We covered this during the days of Noah. Remember how much Jesus emphasized the suddenness of his return. Remember in verse 36, Jesus says, No one knows the day or the hour. It's unexpected. But when it happens, it's too late to prepare. And because it's sudden, we always need to be ready. We need to be ready this day, this hour, this very moment. In verse 42, Jesus says, Therefore stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But not only is this separation at the second coming of Christ sudden, this separation that happens is permanent. It's permanent. The righteous are taken up to be with Christ, but the wicked are taken into judgment. There's a permanent separation. And it's a sobering reminder that not everyone goes to heaven. Some are taken into eternal life, while others are taken into eternal judgment. So this sudden and permanent separation is the meat meat of the matter, the meat in the middle. If the days of Noah are like one slice of bread in this sandwich. This next part, this burglary in the middle of the night, is the other slice. So look with me to verses 43 and 44. So this is Matthew chapter 24, verses 43 and 44. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore you must Be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. So in this example, the the master of the house, that's each one of us. And the thief represents the arrival of something unexpected. Now obviously Jesus isn't a thief. Satan came to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus came that we might have life and have it abundantly. We have to remember in a parable, a parable usually teaches one lesson by way of analogy. We can't press every single detail into some special meaning. But that the second coming of Christ is like the coming of a thief is an important theme picked up in the New Testament. For example, in 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 2 and 3, For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night, while people are saying, There is peace and security then sudden destruction will come upon them. So because the master wasn't aware, the master wasn't ready, he let his house be broken into. And this English translation for this verb, broken into, we often think of broken into as uh, we picture a thief picking a lock or breaking through an open window or breaking through the door. But the Greek verb for broken into is actually the verb for breaking through, breaking through a wall or a barrier, 
digging through the mud or brick wall of a house. Because the master is asleep, he doesn't know. He's not ready. And he lets the wall of his house be broken into, broken through. But imagine with me for a moment that this thief announced to the master of the house which night he was coming. He stops over to the master's house. He introduces himself. Hi, I'm Mr. Thief, and I'm planning to work this neighborhood this week. I'm coming to break through the wall of your house Thursday night this week. Okay, so I'm not going to tell you when, but I'm telling you it's going to be Thursday night this week. Now, of course, that would never happen. That would never happen. But if the thief announced the night of his arrival, the master would be ready. The master would be up all night, ready for this thief before this thief could break through the wall of his house. Well, we know a thief, a real-life thief, would never do that, of course. But the stunning thing is that Jesus is telling us. He's saying, he says, I'm coming like a thief. You don't know the hour I'm coming, but I am coming. He gives us warning. He tells us he's coming so that we can be ready. We can be prepared. And there's a principle here, a principle of lesser to greater that we've seen all throughout the Gospel of Matthew. If the master of this house would be watchful over his temporary earthly possessions, how much more? How much more should we we be watchful over our eternal soul? You can put a price on earthly goods. You can put a price on earthly, temporary goods. And we would stay up to guard those. But you can't put a price on our eternal soul. And how many people, how many people are so careful about their earthly goods, but so careless about their eternal soul? If we take care and we would be on guard for our earthly possessions, shouldn't we care infinitely more about our eternal soul? Shouldn't we stay awake? Shouldn't we be prepared? Shouldn't we be ready? So what does it look like for us to be ready, for us to stay awake? Well, in the final parable of this section, we see the parable of two servants, a faithful servant and then a wicked servant. Look with me to verses 45 through 51. This is Matthew chapter 24, verses 45 through 51. Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom his master has set over his household to give them their food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that wicked servant says to himself, my servant is, my master is delayed and begins to beat his fellow servants and eats and drinks with drunkards. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour he does not know and will cut him in pieces and put him with the hypocrites. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Well, in this parable, the master isn't us. The master is God And each one of us, we are this servant. The master is God and we are the servant. And this parable presents two alternate realities that hasn't happened yet. Two alternate realities. Storytellers love exploring alternate realities. They like to ask, what if? What if the Axis powers, Germany, Japan, and Italy, what if these evil Axis powers had won World War II? 
what would life be like now? What if Adolf Hitler was assassinated before he could carry out all his evil plans? Jesus is giving us his version of what if. He's asking each one of us, who then is the faithful and wise servant? Jesus holds out for us two alternate realities. Jesus is asking, which one of these are you? Which of these two realities fits you? In the first reality, in this first reality, you are the faithful and wise servant, busy with the master's work. Notice what the faithful and wise servant doesn't do. He doesn't stare out the window waiting for his master's return. He doesn't quit his day job and sit around. And he certainly doesn't pull out his calculator and notebook to try to figure out the date of his master's return. So what does he do? This faithful and wise servant exercises faithful servant leadership. Faithful servant leadership. He takes care of the other servants. He makes sure that they have everything that they need. In other words, he stays busy with the master's work. And the master has given each one of us work to do. Here are a few things that King Jesus has told us to do. He tells us to repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, to put away sin and pursue holiness. He tells us to take up our cross and follow him. He tells us to store up treasures in heaven and not be anxious about money. He tells us to pray. He tells us to go and make disciples of all nations. He tells us to love our neighbor as much as we would love ourselves, especially our oppressed neighbors, victims of prejudice and hatred. And if you're wondering what the master's work is, what we are called to do, what we are supposed to do while we wait for him to return, we need to look no further than the Gospel of Matthew. And then Jesus moves to the second alternate reality. In the second alternate reality, you are the wicked servant. And the second reality begins with verse 48. Matthew 24, verse 48. But if that wicked servant says to himself, my master is delayed. So this servant thinks to himself that his master is delayed. And what we see that what often begins with the mind goes into actions. What starts in the mind translates into actions. Thoughts don't just stay thoughts. And this wicked servant makes a deadly assumption. He thinks because his master is delayed, he begins to act as if his master isn't coming back. So he makes a deadly mistake. As one commentator has put it, delay does not mean cancellation. Delay does not mean cancellation. So what, this, what does this wicked servant do? Well, this wicked servant abuses his authority. He beats his fellow servants. And then he indulges in sinful pleasure. He eats and drinks with drunkards. How often do people think just like this wicked servant? How often do people think, I'm the only one who's seeing what's on my screen? How many of us would use electronics differently if every single image Every video, every website we saw was recorded and broadcast to our spouses and families. How many people would act differently if, if they remembered this simple fact from Hebrews chapter 4, verse 13? And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed 
to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. And the consequences for this wicked servant are horrific beyond words. Verse 51, verse 51 of chapter 24. And we'll cut him in pieces and put him with the hypocrites. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This wicked servant has violated infinite trust, and that brings infinite punishment. Jonathan Edwards writes this, If there be any being that we are under infinite obligations to love and honor and obey, the opposite toward him must be infinitely faulty. He, God, God is a being of infinite greatness, majesty, and glory, and therefore he is infinitely honorable. But this wicked servant treated God with infinite dishonor, infinite rebellion, and that brings infinite judgment. Church, we need to be reminded in passages like this and others that hell is real. There is a place of eternal conscious torment. There's no way to sugarcoat this or beat around the bush. Jesus talks about weeping and gnashing of teeth, the weeping of utter and eternal hopelessness, a weeping that never ends, a weeping of total despair because of unending pain and loss, a weeping of utter desperation and eternal regret, where the wicked servant, he will want, he'll want to commit suicide, but can't. So the conclusion for all of us is clear. Could be more clear. Be ready. Church, we need to be ready. We don't know on what day or hour the Son of Man is coming. And because we don't know, and because the Son of Man, the Master, is delayed, we need to be ready at all times. Church, we need to be reminded from the days of Noah. We need to learn from the thief in the middle of the night that there is a sudden and permanent separation. As I once heard, live each day as if it is your last, because one day it will be. Live each day as if it is your last, because one day it will be. Pastor J.C. Ryle warns us that millions of professing Christians will be found on that day. They will be found thoughtless, unbelieving, godless, Christless, worldly, and unfit to meet their judge. Let us take heed that we are not found among them. Church, let us take heed that we are not found amongst them. Church, let us be thoughtful. Let us be believing, God-centered, Christ-centered, and fit and ready to meet our judge. Church, let's be ready. Let's pray. Father, we don't know when your son will return, but we want to be ready. Prepare us. Prepare our minds and hearts, our bodies, our words, our actions to be ready for Jesus' return at any moment. In his name we pray. Amen.